so uh, I started 3D maybe when I was, oof, I want to say, uh, like 12 or 13 or something. I just picked up a, uh, like, introducing Maya book at the bookstore. Like, back in the day where you would learn 3D apps back in book format, right? And so I kind of picked that up. It came with the mm-hmm. demo of Maya. Um, I think it was, like, Maya, I don't know, 8 or something at the time. Um, and kind of, you know, learned all the basics of 3D like that, like what a vertex is, what a polygon is, like I learned all those things that way. And I kind of took a bit of a side burner for, for a while. Um, and then, you know, after high school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And so there just so happened to be a, a school specializing in 3D um, right in my hometown. And so I kind of signed up for that and the rest is history. Uh, so it was, it was something I was really excited about, really passionate about from the get go. Um, I got really lucky and managed to get a job like right out of school, uh, right place, right time. And so I started my career when I was like 18 or 19. Uh, so I moved from my small town to Montreal to work in a small game studio and, uh, worked there for a good five years. Uh, for the first, so my first half of my career was in games and then after five years in games, I was really starting to get that itch for just more detail, getting more better looking rendered, right? So eventually, um, unintentionally, I kind of transitioned into into film. And so the, the, the way I did that was it just so happened that there's a studio here in Norway, uh, in Oslo, where I'm based now. Um, they were working on a project where that needed some Unreal Engine experience. And I just so happened to be using Unreal for most of my 3D career, right? Just because game artists at the time, when you want to showcase your environments and your your characters, you often did it in a game engine to showcase that in your portfolio. And uh, so I, I've been using Unreal for a really long time. And uh, so I, I signed up for that project and got the job. And so I moved from Canada to Norway um, for that job. And then they just kind of kept me on board. And that was kind of my transition from games into visual effects and film. So um, it was kind of a... You know, it, it just kind of—I went with the flow, and it was a natural transition that way. So, and now I'm not even sure if I would go back in games. Like, I really enjoy working in film. I really enjoy just the uh, problem solving that you have, where you just need to get a shot looking good, no matter what. Like, there's no real constraints. Like, there are, you know, constraints, but not quite in the same way that games has. So, that was uh, that's pretty much just a bit of, of, of my career. And then um, after when COVID happened. Uh, I was living a bit in the Norwegian countryside and, you know, I figured now was a good time to start a YouTube channel because I, I was working remote at the time, um, but I had a bit more spare time because I wasn't commuting anymore. And so I just kind of started the channel doing one video a week, you know, a small little thing here and there. And the the channel grew from there. So, so tell us a little bit about why uh, film is so interested in um, Unreal today. Because it's, it's been kind of like this trend that's been going for a while and kind of like your career kind of supports that uh, thesis. And um, my question is like, um, what makes it such a good kind of tool for people who are trying to do movies? Because originally it's still a, a game engine, basically. It's to, to build levels and people to jump around and shoot each other. So um, w- where does it work for film now? And uh, what are like the biggest advantages that it kind of gives the film industry? Because it's, it's been kind of like this trend that's been going for a while. And kind of like your career kind of supports that uh, thesis. And um, my question is like... Um, what makes it such a good kind of tool for people who are trying to do movies? 
because originally it's still a, a game engine basically it's to to build levels and people to jump around and shoot each other so um w where does it work for film now and uh, what are like the biggest advantages that it kind of gives the film industry Well, I mean, for now, like the, the, the big thing is virtual production, right? So now we, we, everyone has seen like the LED volumes, that kind of thing. We've seen like the Mandalorian make the most of it. Um, you know, movies like the Batman used it. Um, which, so it's really, really cool to kind of get like an in cam, directly in camera, like what you see, what you get kind of result. Where previously you kind of needed, you know, months and months of VFX work to actually composite your, visual effect footage into your live action plate, right? So these things take time, but now that we can, with virtual production, we can kind of get it right up, right away in camera. Um, there's a big asterisk there because there is a lot of post work to be done on these shots, even if you're using virtual production and LED volume. Um, but it's really exciting because, you know, with how fast graphic technology is going, it's, we can get like pretty close. Like, of course, it's not, Unreal's not going to replace an offline render anytime soon. Um, Anyone who says otherwise is kind of delusional. Um, but it's getting really good. It looks so much better than it was just five or ten years ago. Um, so it's really exciting. We're making leaps and bounds. And I think Unreal's biggest strength right now is just the ability to put together a whole level that looks pretty dang good extremely fast. And so people, a lot of people are using it for um, uh, for previous stuff. So when you're just trying to kind of get a rough idea of what your shots are going to look like, it looks a whole lot better than just like the, you know, the gray-shaded blend shaders in, in Maya or 3ds Max uh, to get a, a play blast. So in Unreal, you can get some basic lighting, you can get some depth of field in there, you can get some fog, and get a, a much better impression of what your final shot is going to look like um, versus just kind of doing it the old school way uh, with previs and play blast in Maya. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a very big question, right? So, like, why, why is Earth, why is film using Unreal more? It's just it's it's a lot of fun to play with. It's a lot of fun to use, and it's just really fast. Especially like that Mega Scans is comes free, and that saves yeah. a ton of development time for the artist. Like if uh, there's a few, I've worked in a few studios where we weren't allowed to use Mega Scans because it's just for um, in studio work when you're not using Unreal, it is prohibitively expensive. Uh, if you want to get a Mega Scans license, uh, if you're working on a, on a big budget VFX film and you're not using Unreal, you have to pay up for Mega Scans, and so. On those productions, like I realized how much of a time saver Megascans is, and when you have to make each and one of each one of those assets yourself, it's kind of a pain in the butt. So, uh, so that's one. Of the, there's so many individual advantages to using Unreal. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. Really exciting times. William, so one of the things I think that people think about um, Unreal, even to this day, is that it's kind of. Um, kind of like a challenging thing to get into so people are like well you know it's too heavy and it's like it's especially like if you're on a coding side and if you're like from from games games um people often kind of have these kind of like misconceptions that it's like too heavy uh too complicated and a lot of people are starting to like in schools they don't really learn uh unreal as much as they could and they have this kind of like in their mind that, you know what, uh, maybe I should stick with something else. But at the same time, when I look at artists, uh, they really like it. Like they they really embrace it and they do a bunch of stuff with it. And uh, it's always a great pleasure to kind of go, you know, anywhere and have a look at all those amazing uh, environments that people uh, come up with. 
And um, I'm, I'm wondering if you could kind of like dispel some of those misconceptions when people think of, of the complexity of kind of like the heaviness and then uh, it, it's sort of like an ordeal to start doing something with Unreal. You need to, you know, sit down, get, get your YouTube ready, start watching all the tutorials and kind of like you can't really proceed quickly with it. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out the Gaming Blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now. I think that the the answer to that question is is kind of twofold. Like it, it depends if you're going for game development or if you're doing like actual you know, just making some pretty looking game art, or if you are working in visual effects and film or just trying to get some really high quality final pixel offline renders done. Um, so, I, I mean, I, people coming from like Unity who want to make a game, just like actually just scripting and getting a, a game prototype up and running, Unreal versus Unity is, is I mean, Unity's kind of going to win because I, it, is it C Sharp that Unity uses Unreal C? I get the two mixed up all the time. Um, and so it's a lot harder to script stuff in C++. Um, so Unity is just a lot quicker to get your game prototype up and running. Uh, but when it comes to the R side of things, Unreal, at least in the past, Unreal has been a whole lot more uh, artist-friendly than Unity was. So I remember back when I was learning, uh, when I was back in school and back when I was starting my, my career in games, uh, you didn't really have like a material editor in Unity. Like You had to have a, a coder like write a shader for you. Uh, and so, like, node-based editing for, for materials and shaders was just non-existent in Unity. You needed a, a, a third-party plugin called ShaderForge, I think, to make your own custom material. Whereas Unreal, which it kind of, it just worked out of the box. So for artists, it was really easy uh, to, for them to get into and just make some amazing-looking stuff, regardless, like, whether or not they wanted to make a game or not. It just, if you wanted to make some good-looking game art, Unreal was the way to go. Uh, it just looked better. It was easier to get into, much more user-friendly, much more intuitive. It's very visual stuff. So uh, that's kind of why I got into Unreal instead of Unity uh, for the most part. Um, but then what makes Unreal really complicated is when people come from an offline rendering background, so people who rendered in, you know, in V-Ray and Arnold and Octane Redshift, and then or from a traditional visual effects pipeline and come into Unreal, they're completely confused because nothing is the same. The terminology, the, the nomenclature of everything is different. Um, and then there's so many performance optimizations in Unreal. So like, you know, your shadows at some point will fade out after an X amount of distance, which you just like, I, I don't care about the performance. Just, just give me the max quality. And there's no like really quick and easy way to toggle that. Like there are um, some, some uh, scalability settings you can turn on, but even at max scalability settings, sometimes you still need to override those limitations with more console variables. And having to know which console variables to use is not the most user-friendly thing in the world. Like you kind of have to know what to look for and the console variable change from one version to another. Some of them become obsolete after a while. So 
for anyone coming from a traditional visual effects background into Unreal with no games experience, it is very overwhelming for them. Um, and that's kind of why I started my YouTube channel, just because I had um, the experience in both games and in visual effects. So I kind of knew the... I knew what both industries needed and wanted, and so I kind of helped kind of bridge that gap for them. Um, so I, for those who have watched my channel, they know that uh, I tend to focus more on like the cinematics and like rendering side of things, and less so game art nowadays. Uh, for now, anyway. Um, so I, I get a lot of people commenting like, "Oh, this is this is not applicable to games because you know the frame rate is terrible." I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the point for now. Um, I'm not really making it a, a game focused channel, but um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, Unreal is used for so many things nowadays, and it's not just games anymore. So it, 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 it's really hard to, to reconcile both user bases. Yeah, I think it's a great comment. There's definitely so much going on with this engine, and um, it's really hard to keep up and really understand what do you want from it. And this kind of like gets me to the next question about... Um, Kind of like education about uh, these complicated technical tool tools on YouTube. Tell us a little bit more how you approach this on your channel. Like, what's your what's your angle? Like, do you just walk people through the process? Do you give them some basics in the beginning? And just kind of share um, your view of what is the best way to start learning uh, these kind of complicated tools. The, the best way to go, I mean, YouTube is the best way to do it. You know, there's so much good content on YouTube. I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff out there as well. Um, but usually, for the most part, like the the, the larger channels and the, the the videos that have a lot of views, like we don't have the, the dislike counter in YouTube anymore. Um, but for, fortunately, if you just look at the view count, there's a lot of really good stuff out there. So I would just recommend watching a lot of workflow tutorials and just watching someone someone's process because there's so many different ways of doing the same thing. In, in Unreal, and so there's no one way to, to make a level, right? Um, everyone has their little tricks and tips and stuff, and so that's kind of what I like to do. Like Previously, I used to make like really short, you know, to-the-point tutorials about, like, I don't know, like how to get better depth of field or how to get some... Uh, I can't remember anymore. It's been so long. But um, so I used to make really short tutorials, and now they tend to be a little bit longer and more workflow-based and less kind of nitty-gritty and more applicable at the, on, a, on a bigger scale. Um, and so it, it really, f for someone who's new to Unreal, I would just recommend just to jump in um, and take a look at a lot of the uh, example levels that Epic has for free on the Epic Marketplace. You can download entire packages, entire like levels, uh, and kind of reverse engineer what they did from there, right? So when it comes to, let's say, lighting, um, I would just you know go to their lighting folder and kind of take a look at what every light is doing and how they behave and how it works. and um, you know, just start playing around and just dipping your toes in and just really start breaking down how a thing was done. And then from there, once you start familiarizing yourself with the tools, um, then you can kind of narrow down your search. Like, okay, like how does the post-process volume work? Or how does the skylight work? Or how did the, you know, how did the, um, does the exponential height fog work with, you know, atmosphere settings, right? Like, because you can get very, very, very overwhelmed uh, just at the the immensity of the tool, but not only that, it's just there's so many things that are kind of legacy features that are not really supported anymore uh, because they remain from Unreal Engine 4. And when UE5 came out, Lumen t took over and like a lot of things that just don't 
work anymore are still there. So like in the post-process volume, you still have like the depth of field setting, but you don't control depth of field through there anymore. Um, so it, it's really, really hard for, for people to jump in. And that's where YouTube comes in handy. Um, but you kind of have to pay attention to the date that the video was published because a lot of the time something that was applicable like two years ago no longer is valid because the tool has changed or there's a new version and like those tricks kind of broke and changed over time right so um it's all and like you say things happen so fast there's always new stuff coming out constantly like, i'm barely able to keep up with like now 5.3 is coming out and i'm just like oh cool well, i have i've barely used 5.2 and now 5.3 is coming out like i need to kind of keep up with it um and it can be very overwhelming for people so my my recommendation for for those of you getting started just take a step back just kind of do it try to learn through a project like start small like let's say you want to make a small cave learn through actually going ahead and making a project because trying to just learn individual features is really hard um but learning from a practical perspective is a lot easier. Um, so if you're gonna make a cave, you're gonna learn a lot about, you know, indirect lighting. You're gonna learn a lot about, you know, how to use Nanite to get to that really nicer geo in the foreground. Like you're going to learn because it's applicable to your current project. And so apply learning to a project is my recommendation, I would say. I think it's a great, uh, it's a great thing. Like my, my thinking about it is like, let's start with a very small thing because I, like, I really like uh, visual effects uh, overall. And it's for me, it's like you just go and you do like a little poof on the on, on screen and then just kind of go from there and try to get more and more. And then this is how you learn. And I think there is a channel called uh, uh, Game Dev Toolkit or something uh, where they kind of talked about how they learned how to make games. And it was all kind of like coming from small problems so kind of like they had one small problem then another small problem then another small problem and kind of like it, it's all combined into one this humongous thing as a, as a as a game project william i had another question so first of all we love your channel that's why we kind of like approached you and wanted to do the the conversation we covered your stuff on 80 level extensively in a, during this year um can you maybe Explain to the audience what, what it takes <laughs> to run a thing like that. Because people usually think, and again, coming back to our theme of like misconceptions and so on, is like that, you know, it's so easy. You just, <laughs> you just turn on your camera and just sit down and then you just blabber for whatever, like an hour and a half and then it's done. Tell us a little bit about what goes into all of those things just to make a video and put it there. You kind of hit the nail on the head. It really boils down to just sit down, turn on the camera, and just go ahead and do your thing. The most important thing is to be really passionate about what you're doing and to be excited about what you're doing and at least be somewhat decent at what you're doing. So if you if you want if you're really passionate about gardening and you just love plants and you've been you know plants have been your your biggest hobby for the past twenty years, go make a channel about it. It doesn't matter if it. it a lot of people overthink it. Like oh, I'm I'm not you know. I'm not like funny enough or I'm not like good looking enough or whatever. Like if, if my idiot face can succeed on YouTube, like anyone can, because I'm like the most shy dude of all time. Um, if you had told me like two or three years ago, or I guess it's been two or three years, four years ago that I would, you know, be doing a lot of YouTube, I would have laughed you out of the room um, because it was just so completely inconceivable to me. 
Um, and it was, it was just like a very natural transition into it. I started the channel just for just for fun. It was like middle of COVID. It was December 2020. Um, and I figured I had the camera. I've got the microphone. I got everything I need. Why not? And so I just kind of started bit by bit, like really short bite-sized tutorials. Some videos were like five minutes long. Um, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. And I've always been passionate about 3D and rendering in general and lighting and um and so it was a very natural transition. And then when I realized that it wasn't that hard to kind of to do it, um, it just it's very encouraging. And so I got very lucky. I think I got I was at the right place at the right time. Um, some people take years and years and years to get to the point where my channel is now. Um, and I'm really, really thankful for that. I'm very appreciative of everyone who's been watching and supporting the channel. Um, but all that to say is if I can do it, anyone can. Uh, there's nothing special about the way that I do things. I, I think the only difference is I've been doing what I do for a long time. And at some point, like everyone has to start somewhere. Um, but if there's something you are good at and something you're excited about, YouTube is the platform for you. Like, go ahead and do it. Just turn on that camera and you're going to cringe. It's going to be terrible. Like, the first few times you listen to yourself talking, it's just actually just cringeworthy. And you're like, oh, I really hate the sound of my voice. Um, but just power through it and you get used to it. And from there, it just, you kind of learn to, you, you grow and you, 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 you um, how do I describe it? You just, yeah, you get used to it. And uh, it's, you, you, whatever feels right at the time um, is uh, is how you're going to grow. So you're just going to get a, a gut feeling for what feels right and what doesn't feel right. So, um, yeah. So um, I think you, you mentioned that we you, you kind of started uh, when COVID happened. Um, and it was obviously a very uh, challenging time and hard on a lot of people. Um, but I'm wondering if you've seen kind of like the uptake of interest in 3D in general uh, during that time. Because on our, kind of like on our platform, we did kind of notice that people started to gravitate towards 3D more and, you know, search requests for stuff like Blender, Learning Blender and so on, really grew. And I'm, I, I'm trying to understand why this happened, whether it's kind of like the environment that kind of like people really didn't figure out what, what to do. So they said, okay, so I might just learn a new thing to do, 3D. Or maybe it's just kind of like this whole idea of all those projects like the metaverse, all the stuff around us and kind of like this gradual shift from kind of like 2D finally into like a 3D space. Like what's your, do you, do you see a similar trend or, or maybe not? Or Like I didn't start the channel and until COVID, right? So I'd have nothing to compare it to like previously. Um, but I have, I do have a feeling that I did ride that wave. Um, so like when the channel started, there was all, it just so happened. There was a lot of people learning Unreal at the time. And so I just kind of, like I said, I rode that wave while it, while it was there. Um, but it, it, it absolutely makes sense because people were just at home more. They had more time. Um, <clears throat> and so if, if you're, when you're locked down at home, what do you do except finally have time to learn the things you were always curious about? And now is like it's the easiest time in the world to learn new things because like everything, there's courses and tutorials and guides for absolutely everything nowadays. And the production value of most of these things is phenomenal. Um, not to sound like an old boomer here, but back when I was starting 3D, uh, there were no like video tutorials. There were extremely 
few and far between. And so you kind of had to learn through trial and error. Like, yes, there were books at the time. Like I still have like my old ZBrush book. Um, but like there was no really YouTube at the time wasn't really a thing. No, I don't think it was. Maybe it was like pre-YouTube. So and even when YouTube was a thing, like there were just not that many tutorials and courses. Like, I think Noman goes way back, but uh yeah, so the accessibility of courses and tutorials were just, just not there. But nowadays, like, I mean, if you want to learn anything, there's a course for it. And so it's just really, really easy for most people to get into it nowadays. To, to kind of like add to this uh, idea of uh, tutorials, um, I talked to Wes McDermott uh, from uh, uh, Adobe um, uh, yesterday, I think. And... Uh, <laughs> he remembered that when he started, um, oh wow, tutorials were provided on VHS tapes. <laughs> so yeah, I would get like a VHS. I mean, I've, this is the first time I've actually heard it because I didn't really have that luxury. And you, you would get a VHS tape, and then you would watch it and uh, kind of learn from there. Well, this is like the YouTube of the of the days old, kind of like if we are. Uh, comparing how much of a boomer uh, you and I are, like, <laughs> I guess we're somewhere in the in, in between uh, uh, of those things. I'm definitely a millennial. I'm not that old yet, but uh, but I, I really don't mean to sound like, oh, back in my day, life was harder. Um, like, it, you had to learn the hard way back in the day. Like, you kind of had to learn through trial and error, like tr a lot of troubleshooting. And, you know, when things not working, you kind of have to figure it out and find some solutions. And so I think that that kind of shaped me into the person I am today. Uh, for better or worse, um, like I like to think that I'm a pretty good problem solver. And so, you know, whenever we're facing an issue at work or in production or something, like I'll find a way to make it work, even if it's, you know, a, a little bit more of an unconventional approach. At the end of the day, whatever works, works. If it, requ if it requires a ton of duct tape, hey, the shot's at the door, yeah. the client is happy, that's all that matters. In a way, in a, in a way films is, is almost easier this way, right? Because in games, you do have to go through this hundreds and hundreds of, you know, optimizations and LODs and imposters and just trying to make this thing run because this is one of the things that we're kind of struggling with 80 level we're working on this large uh project where we want to help um visualize these um environments in kind of like in a, in a browser so we launch them on a computer and then, then stream them in in the browser and what happens is a lot of those environments, they're not really, <laughs> they're portfolio pieces. They're not really meant to kind of be uh, kind of like technically okay. So whenever we, we run them, like the memory instantaneously runs out or like they crash or they start to slow down. So it's like, it's a never ending um, process of kind of trial and error. But at the same time, what we see is like, and probably your YouTube channel is like one of those, uh, one of the great illustrations that, that there's a lot of people interested in that. Like there's like a lot of people who are getting into it and uh, trying to learn things like Unreal or Blender or all that other software out there. And um, I guess my question is like, do you feel like this happens because the tools are becoming more accessible? Because even if you jump, you know, 10 years before and think about stuff like Maya or whatever, um, I feel those things were pretty complicated. They're, they're still complicated today, but do you feel like things maybe are getting a little bit easier? Do you, do you think it's a hundred percent getting easier because, uh, especially with unreal, because you have so many like presets, like just to give you an example, the mega scans library alone, uh, the entirety of the Epic marketplace, you can just download whatever you need 
add to your project and it's ready to go. Like you can just plug and play animations. You can add whatever assets, 3D scanned assets, photogrammetry stuff, trees. You can build up entire levels without having to have created a single asset. 10, 15 years ago, you couldn't do that. You had to actually, okay, asset packs did exist back in the day. But for the most part, if you wanted something a little bit more unique, you had to make it yourself. You had to polymod, you had to learn modeling, you had to learn UV, you had to learn texturing, you had to learn to, you know, like importing, exporting that from Maya into Unreal and or vice versa. Um, and then you just had to play, do the layout, then you had to do the lighting. And the lighting back then was not, well, real time well it, sorry it was real time but it wasn't there was no ray tracing there was no any of that indirect lighting so you had to learn the really technical side of light map uvs and then you had to figure out lighting and like you know do the technical side of lighting like even in visual effects and film back in the day you had like an, a renderer called mental ray and that was a whole other level of complexity uh I learned mental ray in school and it would it was frankly terrible like I really really don't miss it uh it's just yeah, everything has gotten a lot easier uh, with time. And so it does require, um, I guess, less foundational skills to kind of put things together. You can get some really good results very quickly without too much work. Um, and that's a good thing and a bad thing, right? Um, I think it, it, that can definitely hamper the, not hamper the growth, but it might... Students might find that they're getting results that are really good, but then they run into the issue where when they need to, when they run into certain problems or issues or any kind of issue run into production, they don't really know how to fix it because it's beyond their the scope of understanding. Um, so, you know, not to sound like super old again, but like when you do struggle, you do learn a lot of things the hard way. And so that, that, that I think that helps you in the long run. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I do think things have gotten a lot easier uh, nowadays, and which is why, which is a good thing too, because then more people can get into it and then be passionate about it, like we all are. Um, so I'm not going to like gatekeep it, like, oh, you know, you're not a real artist yeah. because you know you have it easy. Not at all. Absolutely not. Um, yeah. Yeah. On on our side, and again, uh, I think when we'll publish this, it's going to be probably the, the end of the year. But right now, when we're in uh, August of 2023. Uh, coming from Seagraph and having been able to, to talk to, you know, like the, the likes of like Autodesk and NVIDIA and so many other companies. This is like a big thing. So people really want to make this stuff accessible. And I think uh, to kind of like to support your point, I, I think it's great. Like it's the more, the more, um, the more accessible those tools are, the more incredible stuff uh, we're going to see you know, in, in this 3D world. And maybe kind of like this guides me to the next question is, um, when you think about the, the future of this, uh, you know, virtual production, film, games, 3D, um, what do you feel like, like the, how do the next kind of five years look like? Do you, do you think it's gonna be, uh, I'm just gonna give you, throw you some <laughs> ideas to bounce off. Maybe it's more on the AI side. Maybe it's more on this, like you said, mega scans, photogrammetry, and you know, Google's gonna scan everything and give us access to like the 3D copy of the world to play around with. Maybe there are some other things. Like, what's your, what do you feel is uh, going to happen? You may start with like film because it's uh, close to what what you're doing. Oh, I mean, that's a huge question. I mean, it, it's 
we kind of have to address the elephant in the room, and that's AI. Like, AI has just kind of been making waves the past year or so, um, and that's not going anywhere. Like, I think it's pretty naive to think that, you know, we can go to pre-AI days because that's just never going to happen. So AI is going to get a whole lot better. How that changes our day-to-day life, I'm not entirely sure, and I think it's impossible to, to, to guess because it's just things change so fast when it comes to that. Um, but then again, like we've been using AI or machine learning based tool for quite a long time, actually. That's not totally new. The generative AI stuff is pretty new, but like using machine learning to, you know, make your tool better and faster, that's been around for a while. Um, and so the way I see it is most likely for now, at least going to be, uh, a new tool that we're going to have to learn. I don't think uh, what we do, at least in film and visual effects, I don't think that's going to change fundamentally yet. Probably will, you know, down the line, absolutely. Uh, but for now, um, yeah, I think the, the the tool for like the, you know, maybe making for the, like rotoscoping and when you're doing compositing work, having AI-based tool to kind of make that a whole lot easier. Uh, basically, all the mundane and really like annoying tasks that no one likes to do, Stuff like doing UV unwrapping. If AI can just kind of make that an automated process, thank goodness, that would be amazing. Um, I'm still waiting for it, um, but it's not around yet, but ho- hopefully it comes. So I, I hope that AI makes our jobs a lot easier. And then, But at the same time, I think that's also just going to mean we have way more work to do. So, you know, it'll make our lives a bit easier, but we're just going to have way more on our plate because we can do more faster. Um, so whether or not we end up happier artists is another can of worms that I'm not going to get into. Um, but yeah, I do think that's going to, AI is definitely going to, is what's going to change things. Um, but you know, we're 3D artists. Like we're used to learning new tools. We're used to like having to adapt and pick a new software and like, oh, I'm going to learn like Blender this weekend or whatever. Like this is not new. Like this is okay. It's it's part of the, it's part of the job, right? So there's no real point in like being afraid of it, um, but I I do understand why people are. Yeah, I think this is actually a great point to kind of summarize our conversation. Although it seems like every year there's some kind of a disruption in 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 the world of 3D, and it's it's fascinating if you compare it to other industries because when you look at stuff like book publishing, for example. Like the greatest disruption in, in, in current history for them was the introduction of Kindle. When, when, when they, when they kind of looked at Amazon Kindle, they're like, oh no, we're all <laughs> going out of business because it holds a bunch of books and it's online and they are being sold at the same price. The price of it was lower, so it was like 10 bucks and so on. For, for them, it was kind of like, and still that industry is still here. Books are still being printed being written and it's and- really hard to, to know like where it's going to take us and what's going to what's going to happen so like i guess just like don't panic like it it's not going to be in any one of the extremes it's going to be like somewhere in the middle where it's going to be like pretty okay um so that's at least maybe that's my uh ignorant way of looking at it but um at least that's what helped me sleep at night uh so um so there's that but also oh, there was one more thing at one point i wanted to make and i can't remember it just kind of escaped me um but yeah, that was what was it? Damn it! Ah, anyway, continue. Sorry, it'll come back to me. No, uh, I I do think like if if we think kind of put a, a little bit of a cooler hat on and sleep on it, metaphorically speaking, right? Um, you would start to understand that even now at this time, people are already adjusting. It, it sounds like it's this incredible, horrible 
thing that's gonna take away your jobs and all that other stuff, but at the same time, it is being used. There are copyright laws, uh, people are looking into it. And um, I do have kind of like one comment, kind of again, to support one of your points is let take the technical stuff out of it with AI. Like nobody likes doing like UVs or kind of like all those optimizations. It's such a tedious, <laughs> maybe, maybe some people, <laughs> but it's just kind of like, I feel like it's, if this goes away, you just see so much more creativity. It's like, it's like making Photoshop basically more, more accessible. Like you, 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 you give this tool to people and suddenly, you know, there's so much stuff that you can do with it. And I feel like with 3D, it's going to be very similar. And it's like, it's a lot like cameras, right? Where like with yeah. the accessibility of really high end cameras nowadays, like everyone has a pretty dang good phone in their uh, camera in their pocket. Now you're like modern smartphones take absolutely wonderful photos. Uh, did that make everyone a photographer? Absolutely not. Um, so you're still going to have, like, there's still a place for like good photographers uh, who are using proper hardware for it. And so just because something is more accessible doesn't mean it necessarily waters down uh, the professional usage of it. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's like, it's, it's making waves, it's new, it's disruptive. And so of course, like naturally people are kind of freaking out. Um, but you know, like like anything in life, it, it's probably gonna be fine. Like we're just gonna adapt. Like we're you know, right now it's kind of the wild west because there's no real laws around it yet. Like there's no really, there's no ethical laws involved, or we don't really know. You know, thing we're like with the generative stuff, we don't know where that data set came from. It's an ethically sourced data set. Who knows, right? And so like until that kind of calms down a little bit, I think it, it definitely things are gonna keep changing until there's some. What's the word? And until the legality of things kind of comes into place. Because now, um, like you said, I don't think you can copyright AI art. And so if you use it for production work, um, do you actually own that work? I guess maybe not. Yeah, I mean, who knows, uh, William, but kind of like in this times of uncertainty and not figuring out what to do next, can you give our listeners, readers, and viewers advice. So let's say I'm just starting out in games or I'm just starting out in 3D and I want to build something nice. Like apart from your wonderful channel, uh, what other sources are there uh, to start? Like, do you think people should go to school? Do you think the basics are important? Do you feel like you could start with certain software? Um, what are like the maybe three to five things that you feel are kind of a good way to start? That's a really good question. Um, when it comes to school, I'm very reluctant to, to give an answer on that, mostly because, like, yes, I did go to school to learn 3D, but the school I went to was absolutely terrible. Uh, it was a really, really bad school to the point where like, it, it got sued and went bankrupt. Um, it was not great. It was the kind of school that would hire its own students to teach the next semester. Um, so you can imagine, like, the, the incestual nature of that process was not very good. Um, so should I have saved that money instead and just kind of work from home and to kind of learn through, you know, trial and error? Um, that depends on how disciplined you are. I think there are definitely benefits to going to school and learning stuff, uh, mostly because of a, the networking you make, uh, the contacts, the, but also like having peers around you kind of doing the same thing pushes you in a way that just being at home in your mom's basement learning stuff is not going to 
help you, right? So um, there are definitely pros and cons to doing both. I'm not, I'm, I've, it's not my place to say whether or not someone should or shouldn't go to school. Um, what worked for me was definitely going to school, even if it was a terrible one. It got me at the right place and where I needed to be, when I needed to be there. Um, but I would say that also 95% of what I know is I'm, I'm self-taught uh, for the most part. So I learned the core basics in school and the rest is just kind of learned on my own and on the job. So if you have, here's the thing, the biggest difference is if you have the chance to get a job instead of going to school, go get a job in the industry because that is how you're going to learn. You're going to learn at an exponential rate um, so much faster than if you go to school. Um, it, of course, it's hard to get a job if you never went to school and you don't know anything. Um, but uh, case in point, like if you if you do if you can't get the foot in the door, if if you get that opportunity, just grab that opportunity and, and hang on to it with your dear, dear life because uh, that is definitely the best way to learn. It's on the job for sure. Um, for those of you who are getting started and you don't really know where to start. Um, you know, look around and see if there's any like, you know, workshops or, or schools in your area. And if you, if there aren't, YouTube is a great opportunity for that. And so there's lots of really good free content. Now, whether or not the stuff you learn on YouTube will, is good enough to get you a job depends on you. Um, it, it really depends on whether or not you have the eye for detail. Like for example, like we've hired, um, artists in, in, in film and visual effects where they might not be the best artists but they had the from a technical perspective i mean but they had the eye we could tell that they had a good eye for detail and that is the the key here it's it doesn't matter so much which software you use or which one you you pick you can learn the tools anyone can learn the new tool like i didn't even know maya when i started in visual effects in the studio that i was working at they were uh maya users i came from a 3ds max background um but that's fine that's not a problem because you can learn that in about a week um, so what you learn is not as important as what you create with those tools. So as long as you have a good eye for detail, a good eye for the fundamentals of art, good composition, good lighting, good use of color, those are the important things. Um, the technical stuff you can learn, but it's really hard to develop an eye for these things. So, um, yeah, and it, it's really hard to, to say like what having a good eye means. Um, I think it's just, you just gotta got to make more work. And that's the only way to do it. It's just throw yourself in there, dive in, create what you think it looks great and take, accept criticism, post your work online and be willing to take criticism constructively and don't take it personally. Like good criticism is, is the best way to learn. Uh, so go to reach out to someone who works in the industry, reach out to someone who you know might be working, who already has the job that you want and ask them for feedback and tell them to not hold back because that's how I learned. That's how I, you learn the hard way. When people are really, really harsh and aggressive, not aggressive, but very harsh in their feedback toward you, yeah, it stings because you may have spent, you know, days on this particular piece and then they rip it apart. And, you know, before you say, this is terrible because of XYZ. As long as it's constructive, you can learn from this. It's nothing personal. It's not an attack against you. Uh, it's just, it, if you use that feedback and improve your work, that is how you improve. And so uh, I think that's my, my, the biggest um, self-improvement tip for anyone is you try to find someone who is better than you and tell them to rip apart your work. It's as simple as that. William, thank you so much. I think it was a very good interview and great advice. Uh, we'll leave the links in the description to the video and to the 
your channel so people can check it out. Thank you so much one more time and uh, good luck with your YouTube channel. Thanks so much. Great seeing you. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP and share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.